morning, Victory. Hey, good to be with you again. Amen. Uh, give a shout out to my wife. My wife's not here this morning. It's the first time that I can remember that both of us are preaching on the same morning. She's preaching at a church down in Destin, uh, launching her new book, Resilience. If you haven't gotten that, I encourage you to pick that up. It's an amazing book. I watched her work on that all summer long, day and night, so I know what she's poured into it. So I encourage you to do it. She's on a, on, a, on a kind of a little book tour right now trying to launch this book, so y'all pray for her, amen? This, is a, this series has been such a blessing. I, I, I told Johnson the other day, we were talking, and I said, this is one of the best family series that I've heard. And uh, last week when you had your panel, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that an amazing panel? Just the practical wisdom that was coming out of these guys. I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about what's happening at Hamilton Mill. Today, they're doing the transition service between my brother and his wife and Chris and Lisa Frith, and they're becoming the new pastors of Hamilton Mill, and that's where Johnson and Summer are this morning to help set them in as new pastors. So let's give a big, warm praise God for Hamilton Mill and what they're doing. We're just so excited about that. And I walked through the Midtown building the other day. It's, it's done, really. It's complete. They're just waiting on inspections to finish up, and they should be in in a couple weeks. So in, in a few weeks, we'll have all the buildings uh, built out and, and ready to go. So we're excited about that. Today, as we close out this family series, this is, this is dear to my heart. This, of all the subjects that we preach on, I was telling a few of our pastors the other day, I said, I think I've preached on family more than any other subject in the church over the years. I've never, we've never had a year where we didn't have a family series. And people have asked us, why do you preach so much on family? And I said, because the family is the core of everything. It's the core of society. It's the core fabric of everything that happens in the world. You are a byproduct of your family and how you talk, how you act, how you think, how you function. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't necessarily come from biblical godly families. We didn't grow up necessarily being raised in the ways of God. And as a result, many of us are having to work out our salvation, work out all the dysfunction of our past. I come from a very dysfunctional family. My parents uh, got together when they were 19. She got pregnant outside of marriage. She had me at, at, just as she turned 20, and, and they started a family. They got married back in that day. There was, abortion was not legal. Hallelujah. <laughs> had it been legal, we might not be here today. And... and um, I was born October 30th, 1957. I'm an old man now. And, and, but I remember just growing up in a household of dysfunction. My parents were not in love with each other, but they got married. They got divorced at the age of four. Uh, my mother had a nervous breakdown, and then she moved down here to Atlanta to reestablish her life. Raised me as a single parent for several years, then remarried. I had a stepfather, and then my father remarried. He had a, I had a stepmother. She had five kids. I had stepbrothers and sisters. Then they got divorced. He married again, had another wife. And you get what I'm talking about. It was, it was dysfunctional. And so when I got saved at the age of 23, when I got saved and started my journey with Jesus, I had a great fear and intimidation when it came to the thought of starting a family of getting married, of having children. I, don't, I knew I don't know how to do this. I, I haven't had the model, biblical model that I needed. And so I started really studying the Bible because I didn't know if I was gonna be able to handle being a father, being a husband, being a committed person. Now on backside of that, I'm looking back, we're 38 years 
into our marriage. We have one daughter who has, who's married and has two, I have two beautiful little grandchildren and we have a wonderful family. And I asked myself, how do we get to this kind of family that we have now based on the family that I grew up with? And it all started in the book of Genesis as I started studying the book of Genesis. In fact, if you have your Bibles, would you turn to Genesis chapter one? Because the whole story of family starts at creation. And when God starts this, this thing called the family, this process of the family, and, and I'm just gonna kind of give you a heads up before I even get into this, I'm gonna share with you some things about family that may sound really foreign to you today. They may sound really kind of out there or a little bit like, that's not normal, I don't understand that. that. That doesn't fit into the way I think about family. And can I just, can I just say this, that, that how many of you know that the way families are doing today are not necessarily going to line up with the Bible? And so what happens is when we live in a world where we've been enculturated with the world system of family, and then we hear the word, sometimes it, it, it doesn't resonate with us because it's not the way we grew up, it's not the way we were trained, it's not the way we thought. And, and, and so what happens is sometimes we try to change what the Bible says and make it line up with our human culture and the way human culture does family. And so I'm gonna spend the next few minutes mentoring you. I'm gonna mentor you. You want a mentor? Today is your mentoring day. I'm gonna just share with you the journey that I took in my discovery of family and how to have a godly family and then if you can take some of these principles, these are very practical principles, and you start to apply them in your life, I will, I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you, you will have a healthy family. How many of you wanna have a healthy family, amen? Now, now let me just say this before I even get started, because some of you, well, I've already blown my family. I've been divorced, I have a broken family, I have a, I'm a single parent, blah, blah, blah. Can I just tell you something? I'm not here to condemn any of your bad decisions of the past. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all made crazy decisions, stupid decisions when we were young. A lot of those were, were based on the family we grew up with, but here's what I'm here to say. I can't change what you've done in the past, but what I can say is God can change what you're going to do in the future, and your future is gonna be good, amen? So I'm, an, I'm an encouraging you that no matter how difficult your family might be right now, what you're going through right now, God can heal your family. He can restore your family. And it starts with understanding some principles. So look at, let's look at the book of Genesis, chapter one. I wanna read here in verse 26. This is the beginning of time, beginning of creation. He's created all the animals, he's created all the earth, and here's what he says about us as humans. He said, then God said, let us make man, and when he says man in this context, it's man and woman, man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion. Everybody say dominion. Now that's a word I want you to get down this morning because that's the key to the family. And I think what's happening in most families is they don't understand the word dominion. And so as a result, something has dominion over them. They're living under the dominion of something else. And he never created you to live under the dominion of anything except God. So he says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth. Everybody say, all the earth. Everything on the earth. Everything on the earth you're supposed to have dominion over. And every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I, think that was, I thought that was interesting that he slipped that in there. 
creeping thing that creeps on the earth because what he was talking right about there is Satan. He was talking in the serpent, in the form of a serpent creeping on the earth. He was saying you're gonna have dominion over him. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So he's saying male and female are part of the image of God. You and I are a reflection of the image of God. Then God blessed them and God said to them, this is the first commission of God, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and what? Subdue it. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, right here at this moment, this opening moment of creation, God is establishing the purpose of humanity. He's saying that you are to live in dominion over the things that try to influence and control you here on this earth. Over that, I was watching an interesting documentary uh, the other day called The Social Dilemma. By the way, let me recommend it to you because if you haven't seen it, it's, a, it's kind of an eye-opening documentary about social media. And it's, it's put together by different people who've worked for top executive positions like Google, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, all these different ones. And they've come out of these organizations because they, did, they felt like these organizations were trying to control the minds of humanity through social media. And, and it, was about a, it was sort of a moral thing for them. How do we have social media but, but not try to control people, not try to influence people in a, in a wrong way? In that, in that documentary, it just talks about, and this is what was so eye-opening, how Social media and the media in general can so transform the minds, especially of young people, but of humanity, that when they hear facts, true facts that would disagree with what they've been taught to believe on social media, they will not believe the actual truth of facts. They will turn away from facts and turn to the myths that social media has perpetuated in their mind, so transforming their mind that their mind is no longer aligned with truth anymore. And therefore, they don't know what is truth. Let me just tell you what truth is. For for those of you that don't know what truth is, the Bible is truth. The Bible is truth. The Bible says the truth is the word of God. It's the only thing that you can really trust. Do you agree with that? You can't trust the media. You can't trust government. You can't trust uh, influencers out there. You have to trust in something that is unchangeable, which is the word of God. The word does not change. The Bible says, God, I'm a God that does not change. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that we don't change the methods of what we do, but it means that we don't change the principles of God's word. So God says from the very beginning that he created you to have dominion. The original creation was created to walk in dominion. Now, what happened? They were created to walk in dominion, and the reason they could walk in dominion, this is important to know, is because they did not have a sin nature. They did not have a sin nature. Adam and Eve did not have a sin nature when they were created. Now, some of you are saying, well, I thought all all people have a sin nature. All people do have a sin nature now. But they did not have a sin nature in creation. In creation, God created Adam and Eve without a sin nature. He created them to walk free from sin, no longer having 
under sin or being taken over by sin. Sin had no rule over them. And he says, you're gonna walk freely in the earth without sin. And because you don't have sin nature, you will have dominion. The reason we give up dominion is because of our sin nature. When we live in sin or sin is a part of our life, we yield to the sin nature, we give up our dominion. So he says, now you're gonna have authority over everything because you don't have a sin nature. Well, we all know the story. You read the Bible, you see the next two chapters describe what happens to Adam and Eve. They get deceived by the Antichrist, Satan. He, they, they buy into this lie that God's trying to keep something from them. They eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes are open to sin. And now the sin nature comes into Adam and Eve. And Romans declares, the book of Romans declares, from the blood of Adam down through humanity is past the sin nature. You and I were born with a sin nature. We did not have to learn how to sin, it was natural to us. What was not natural to us was not sinning. That's why when you grew up in your family, your family had to constantly discipline you because of your sin nature and constantly spank you and correct you and say no to you and your sin nature kept wanting to do what you, what you knew you shouldn't do because yeah, that's what sin nature does. And when you yield to the sin nature, you give up dominion. Amen? That's why when you read the Bible, this is what was so discouraging for me as a young Christian. I'm reading through the Old Testament. I'm trying to find what is a family supposed to be like, like godly family. Well, surely the biblical characters of the Bible are gonna model a godly family. So I start looking at the biblical characters. I look at Abraham. Abraham, he's married but he lies about that he's married. He's actually married to his half-sister, truly half-sister, and then he ends up having children with other women, concubines. And then we see the whole cycle go on. You get to Jacob. Jacob's got two wives and then two concubines. He has several children. He has 12 children. I was just sitting there thinking. One of his children comes to him and says, Mom says, I can go out to play, but I have to ask you, Dad, what can, I, can I go out to play? And Dad says, which one is your mom? <laughs> which one is your mom? I get confused. I got so many of you. You get down to David, who the Bible says has a heart after God. He ends up having an adulterous affair with someone else's wife. He then kills the husband so he can get married to her and has the child, and then the child dies. And, and then eventually has another child named Solomon who's declared the wisest man in all the earth, wrote the book of Proverbs, which you and I try to live by. It's the wisdom of a father to a son. The Bible says he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. Come on, Jesus. How do you even do that? How do you even manage that? Think about that in an annual year what you're doing there. And he's writing all about how not to fall in bed with the immoral woman and blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, he's got 300 wives and 700 concubines and telling us how to live our lives pure and holy. It was ultimately his undoing, considered still today the wisest man in all the earth. I don't know about that. He knew all the right things to do, but he didn't do them, why? Because he had a sin nature. He had a sin nature. Moses had a sin nature, all of them had sin natures. They all did wonderful things and even taught wonderful things, but they had dysfunctional families. 
There are no families in the Old Testament that you can look to and say, I want my family to be like that. Then you get into the New Testament and you see all these different kinds of concepts of family, but we don't really see a true husband-wife relationship with their children play out like we, we see biblically. We see words that Jesus speaks about. We see Paul's teaching on family. And by the way, Paul taught a lot about family, but he didn't have one. He was a single man. Peter talked a little bit about family. We only see his wife mentioned one time when she gets healed by Jesus. We wonder, where's your wife, Peter? You seem to be doing a lot of stuff without your wife. All the disciples, some of them were married, but we never hear anything about their wives. Why? Because they didn't know how to do family. It, why didn't they know how to do family? Because they had a sin nature. In order for people to understand how to do family, they have to deal with their sin nature. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus, listen to me, all of you that are watching online, listen to me, this is why Jesus had to come. Jesus had to come to deal with your sin nature so that you could be born again, so that you could start your life over again. When people say, I was just born this way, well, that's fine. We're all born a certain way. That's why you need to be born again. You need to be born again. If you try to... If you try to base your life on how you were born in the natural, you will live under the sin nature and the devil will have dominion over you. And so you have to be born again. And once you get born again, then the sin nature is dealt with by what Jesus did on the cross. And he makes your sin wash away. He cleanses you from your sin, puts the Holy Spirit in you to give you a Christ-like nature to do battle with the sin nature that you've lived with all your life, to conquer that sin nature, to live for Christ, to be holy even as he is holy. Come on, somebody. Now, we know the war that we fight is between our spirit and our body and our soul. It's a war that goes on over and over again, and the only way you're going to win is you've got to yield more to the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Amen. All right, so now, men are marrying men, women are marrying women, children are growing up with 32 different sexual identities, we don't know which bathrooms to go to, people have stopped getting married, they're having sex outside of marriage, they're not committing to marriage anymore. Uh, most, a lot of single parent homes these days. What are, why is that? It's a result of the sin nature. And the sin nature then says, in order for me to deal, live with myself, I have to redefine family. I have to redefine family. And let me just say to you, if you've redefined family, then sin will control your life. The sin nature will control your family and it will be dysfunctional for the rest of your life. This is why one of our four pillars is building families. Part of, the, part of the vision of this church was to set in motion this concept, we've got to get back to what the Bible says the family is all about, amen? This is a burning passion inside of me when we started this church. It was to create a church that will not bow its knee to human culture and sin nature that has permeated and polluted the family and destroyed the family. We've got to get back to the core of what God created the family to be. All right, now how do you have a successful family? How do you really have a successful family? How do you get to this place where your family is modeling what God puts you on the earth to do? And this is, where, this is what 
the core of this message is, is we have to have what I call a purpose-driven family. Purpose-driven family. I went back over <clears throat> the hundreds of messages that I preached over the 31 years of victory in the family. And I looked over all the messages and I had to say that of all the messages I've ever preached, the most important message I've ever preached in the family is having a purpose-driven family. And I realized that in the core of that message lies the essence of what starts a family breaking the cycles of sin and sin's dominion and sin nature and starts a family on this journey of beginning to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. All right, so let me just tell you what a, a purpose-driven family, I'm gonna give you four things for that, that what a purpose-driven family looks like so that you can say, okay, this, this is in my life or this is not in my life, and then you can kind of redefine or re rework what you aren't doing in your family. Number one, a purpose-driven family has a family vision. A family vision. All right, so there was a, a life scripture that hit me in the early days of my Christianity, which changed me forever. It's a little verse out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 18. This is the King James verse. I'll give you the King James, then I'll give you the New King James, and then I'll give you another version, just to kind of give you some different flavors of it. The King James version says it this way, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now that's true for a nation, that's true for a family. If you don't have a vision in your family, your family will perish. Another translation says it this way, NIV, NIV, NIV says it, where there is no revelation, meaning vision, people cast off restraint. If you don't know where you're going, you have a goal in life, you don't know what you're headed towards, you will cast off restraint and ultimately you'll live based on your flesh, your circumstances and everything else. The passion version says it this way, where there is no prophetic vision, people quickly wander away. Now, people ask me all the time, what, what is going on in America right now? Why are so many people, especially youth, just kind of wandering away from their original family? They're no longer uh, living like their parents raised them to live. The reason why so many youth are struggling today, so many young culture people, young generation people, whether you're in college, high school, middle school, is because they've grown up in families without a vision. They don't have a vision. So when they get to a certain age, where they now have to make decisions for themselves, they were never taught how to chart their course with a vision, so here's the typical answer. What are you gonna do with your life? I don't know. What are you gonna study in college? I don't know. What kind of career do you want? I don't know. And most young people spend their entire 20s wandering aimlessly through life, changing jobs, changing professions, changing relationships, because they have no vision. They didn't have it modeled for them. I didn't have it modeled for me. Colleen didn't have it modeled for her. And we recognized we better get, get this vision thing down for our family before we ever start our family. So when I ask most people what their vision for their family is, here's what you typically get. I want my family to be happy. I want, my, I want, our, uh, want us to have a lot of money so we can have a nice life. I want my kids to have a good education. Uh, I wanna always be able to provide for them. We wanna have vacations together. Um, we want to have fun together. We want to have good relationships together. And that's pretty much what most families think of as a family vision. Can I just suggest that a family vision is much higher than those things? 
that that is not a family vision. That's just a typical worldly vision that everybody else has. And most kids grow up in environments where their family emphasizes education over their relationship with God. They emphasize what they're going to do with their career over how they're going to follow God. So when their kids get out of their home, they focus more on those things and they drift away from God. So we sat down, Kali and I sat down, and we, we started studying through the scriptures. What does a family look like, all right? So Proverbs 22, six says it this way. It says, train up a child in the way they should go so that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. In other words, give them a vision when they're young so that when they get out of your uh, jurisdiction and they start going on their own, they'll not depart from the, the vision that you raised them in. Proverbs 29, 15 says, a child left to themselves will bring, to their, will bring shame to their mother. Think about how many children are just left to themselves, left in their room by themselves with their video games, with their computers, with their social media accounts. They, they drop them off at daycare, they drop them off at school, they drop them off at youth group, but they don't really have a relationship with their family. And then Psalm 127, 4 says, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. In other words, arrows represent weapons. And it says you, when you start a family, you are starting an arsenal that, that you're going to raise up to attack the enemy, to do damage to the enemy's kingdom. But in order for you to have weapons that are effective, you have to aim them. You have to aim the arrow. If you just shoot the arrow out inadvertently, it could strike the wrong thing. It could do the wrong thing. So basically, if you're a parent, you have about 18 years to, to get your child to a place where they're aimed and you're ready, aim, and then at 18 or 19, fire. You're firing them out there to college, to, to, to their careers, whatever they're doing, to their, to their mates. So we sat down and we said, okay, how do you do this? So uh, we sat down and wrote a family vision. We, Colleen and I, sat down and just sat and wrote, what do we want our family to be like? What, what is our family gonna look like inside the house and what does our family wanna look like outside the house? And we sat down and crafted a family vision. I don't have time to share with you all the things we wrote in there, but just think, I'll just give you some examples. We said, all right, in our relationship, we wanna model that we will, we will always forgive each other. No matter what we've done, we will always forgive each other because Christ always forgave us. You forgive to the degree that you understand you've been forgiven. And if you can't forgive people, then you don't understand how much God has forgiven you. Amen. So you walk in this perpetual state of forgiveness, not unforgiveness. So when things happen that cause problems in your family, you know that the goal now is to get to a place of reconciliation instead of division, because a house divided cannot stand. So you do everything in your nature to humble yourself and find a place of coming back together and forgiveness, which starts with this thought. Never lay your head to rest. We, may, we put this in our vision. Never lay your head to rest when you have anger in your heart towards your spouse. Don't ever go to bed angry because then the devil has all night <laughs> to work on you. You get up in the morning and you know how you feel. You start right back at it again. And, and it just continues to perpetuate. So we sat down and we wrote a family vision and then every year we would go away in January. We would go up into the mountains or sometimes to the beach and we would spend about three days of fasting and prayer over our annual vision. This is what we wanna see happen with our family this year. 
And we would write it down, because the Bible says, Habakkuk 2 says, write your vision down and make it plain upon the tablet so when you read it, you can run with it. And then we'd come home and we'd put our family vision on our refrigerator so that we could go by every day and see it. And it was not uncommon that when we start to stray away from the vision, Colleen would say, come over here, come over here, Dennis. What does that say right there on the, on the vision thing? Are you doing that? Like, it, doesn't it say that you're going to serve me like Christ serves the church and gave himself for it? Didn't it say that? I said, yes, and it, doesn't it say you're gonna submit to me like the church submits to Jesus? <laughs> we always have an answer, don't we, men? Part of the problem with this concept of submission is we misunderstand it in the Bible. We don't understand that what's happened with, with, what happened with women and men is under the curse of the sin nature. It says men will rule over women. It says the husband will rule over his wife. If you read it in Genesis 3, you'll see he'll rule over his wife. That's the curse. That's a part of the curse. And you have every earthly religion, many earthly religions, they take that literally and think that's the blessing. That's the curse. God never intended for the man to rule over his wife. He, he, but he did intend for the man to lead his wife. To be the covering of his wife. And the greatest leader in the Bible is the greatest servant. Not the greatest dominator not the one who dominates the person. A great leader is like Jesus. Jesus didn't come to dominate us. Jesus came to serve us. The son said, I came to serve you, not to rule over you. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. And what we write on our family vision is we will outserve each other. We're going to determine, we're going to determine a life where we will live a life of outserving each other. And anytime we start to go south in our relationship, we go back to that vision that will remind us, okay, Dennis, you need to start washing the dishes a little bit more often, making the bed a little bit more often. All right, honey, you need to start rubbing my back a little bit more often. <laughs> and you start, that vision keeps you moving forward, amen? All right, so let me just, take, let me just ask you a question. What's your family vision? Do you have one? And if you don't have one, don't be condemned because you probably weren't raised to have one but this might be the reason why you're struggling in your family because you don't know where you're going. And the Bible says, without a vision, my people cast off restraint. I would say the same too if, you, if you're single. If you're single, the most important decision outside of choosing to follow Jesus is who you're gonna marry. Who you're gonna marry is your most important decision. And we would always tell our daughter, listen, <clears throat> one of the first questions you need to ask when you start to get serious about somebody, you start thinking about this as a relationship, one of the first questions you need to ask is, what's your vision for life? And if they stumble and str struggle, I don't, I don't vision, I don't know what, run. <laughs> don't walk, run. I don't want you marrying somebody who has no vision for life because you'll just wander with them aimlessly. So if you're dating somebody and they don't have a vision, why are you dating them? If they don't know where they're going, then you, you don't know where you're going either. You're about to hook your train to somebody that has no, a vision for nowhere, a destination of nowhere. And after you've gone about four years into nowhere, you get tired of that relationship. Come on, somebody. 
That's why the most important thing I ask a person, when I Colleen and I started dating, we started talking about our vision right away. What do you have a vision? And when we started realizing we have a similar vision, we realized because we have a similar vision, we can probably become married. God's probably putting us together. All right, that's the first one. The second is that they live a life that makes a difference. Now, this is huge. When you ask the average child about their family, what, why are you not close to your family? Here's the number one reason. My family is boring. My family's boring. They're so predictable. I can come home. My dad will be over there in the recliner. He's watching TV. My mom is doing something, sewing, knitting, uh, on social media, playing cards on a video game. She, she's doing something. They're so predictable. And there's nothing about their life that I want to be, that I want to be like. I don't want that. And as they, the longer they're married, the worse it gets. They don't hardly talk to each other. When they talk to each other, they shout at each other. They get mad at each other. Why would I want that? Why would I want to get married? Why do you think so many people are not getting married? Because they've seen marriage. They've seen it modeled the wrong way. When you start to live a life that makes a difference, you begin to realize that that's what God's called the model, the model of the family to be. So before Colleen and I started having children, we said, okay, we've got to live our life to make a difference. So it started, now listen to this, it started with our relationship with our local church. We were in a little church that we were going to, and we decided, okay, we don't know what to do to make a difference, so let's just find a need and meet it. So we walked up to the pastor one day, and we said, what are the, what's the needs in the church so we can serve in this church? And he said, well, I really need somebody that can, this is back when church had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Y'all remember, some of you old people remember that? When church met three times a week and then on, on weekends they had small groups. I mean, you were doing church your whole life. Remember back then? <laughs> now it's all you can do to get people to come to church once a week. All you watching online, I'm, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Why aren't you back in church? You should be back in church now. And so we, we, we said, all right, where do you need? He said, we need, we need somebody to work with our children on Sunday night. Nobody will commit to Sunday night, and we need somebody to commit to Sunday night. Every Sunday night, work with children. We never, never work with children and understand children. Didn't really like children. <laughs> but we said, okay, we'll serve there. And so we served in children's ministry. And as we got into children's ministry, God began to develop a love for children. He began to develop a love. And we began to see how valuable children are and how we could spend that one and a half hours with those children and make a difference in their lives. And we realized that probably one of the most, the biggest areas that people make a difference in, in the church is in children's lives. What's going on right now in this church is somebody is ministering to your children. That, you know, if you have children, they're sacrificing this service so that they can minister to your children because why? They want to make a difference. They want to make a difference. They don't want to just sit in church and take up space and do nothing and serve no one? Why would anybody do that? Why would anybody just go to church and sit in a chair and never serve? Never help anybody, never minister to anybody? All their life is about themselves? Do you think that people are gonna admire that? Your children will not admire that. So we, we said, we're gonna be faithful to that, and we, we were faithful to that for a year, and then the Lord spoke to us, to, to the pastor, and said, I need you to now work with teenagers. We don't have a youth ministry. We were a very small church back then. We don't have a youth ministry. In fact, we don't even have a youth room. We have a little bookstore that you have to move the books out of the way, and that's where you're gonna meet with the teenagers. You're gonna start a youth ministry. So we met with teenagers. We eventually were, developed a youth ministry from nothing, became the youth pastors of that church for five years. 
Probably the happiest time of our life in the history of our Christianity was when we were working with teenagers. Nothing more rewarding to me than to see a teenager's life turned over to God. Nothing more rewarding to me than that. And watching them have their life changed. And most of our teenagers, the parents didn't even come to church, and they, but they got saved and they started making a difference in their high schools. And that carried over into eventually we started working with homeless people, and then we started working with street people. Uh, street ministry, and then we started doing this and this and that, and then eventually we went to Bible school, and we realized life is about making a difference. So when we finally started our family, we told Lauren, Lauren, look, we love you. You're our child. You're the only one we got, so we're going to do everything we can to love you and, and take care of you, but life is not all about you. Life is not all about you. Life is about ministering to this world. So you're gonna be in our backpack when you're little. We're gonna go witnessing. You're gonna just see the mom and dad do this. You're not even gonna know what we're saying, but we're gonna be sharing Jesus with people with you on our back. We're gonna take you on mission trips. We're gonna put you in third world situations where you're picking lice out of kids' hair and you're, and you're dealing with the third world poverty so you see how good you got it. So when you come home, you'll recognize how good you got it and you won't start complaining about you don't have the latest iPhone or the latest gizmo or whatever. And we started taking her on mission trips and we started training her, tra her like that. And Why? Because we want her to grow up. You gotta make a difference. You can't just go through life making money. You gotta make a difference. All right, so here's the scripture. Here's the scripture. This is Philippians chapter two. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interest of the others. Amen? Then thirdly, People who live a life of purpose, that, that model a life of purpose, they model a life of generosity. Right off the bat, we recognize, okay, we cannot be a family that's all about hoarding money. No matter how much or how little we have, we have to make sure that God is always first in our money. So we would always take the first 10% of everything we earn, and by the way, we used to we lived on pretty low incomes in our early days of marriage. I made $12,000 a year working as a youth pastor and Colleen made like $18,000. So together we made about $30,000 a year and, and managed a family off of that. And But we said, as soon as we get paid, the first of everything that we get paid, first 10%, the tithe, which is holy to the Lord, we're gonna give that back to the Lord. Now I've been saved, uh, let's see, how many years I've been saved? I've been saved 39, almost 40 years. And as far as I know, from the day I got saved till today, I've never, ever, ever in my life, nor has Colleen not tithed the first 10% of all of our increase. No matter whether we were good, whether we were bad, whether we were up or down, 10%, we knew that the lifeblood of our finances was tied into God's hand on our money. If God's hand is on our money, we know he'll take care of us even if we're not making lots of money. And what I've learned is a lot of families don't know that, don't think that way, and that's why they're constantly struggling financially because they're doing it on their own. Then we said, after the 10%, we, our goal, our family vision was to take the, another 10% and sow it into the lives of others to make a difference, either missions or poor or homeless or whatever we could do just to make a life. So 20% of all of our income goes into something to make, that makes a difference, generosity. And when Lauren came up, we had this little jar that she put her, as soon as she get birthday gifts or whatever, she'd take her tithe, put it in there, so she'd take it to the Lord every weekend. So we made sure you grow up, you're a tither. 
When you leave this house, you're gonna have the spirit of tithing, giving, and generosity in you when you walk out these doors. You're not gonna have the spirit of, gen- of, of stinginess and hoarding and all about you and buying stuff for you. It's all, all about serving other people. And here's the scripture, 2 Corinthians. This is the scripture we live by, eight, chapter eight. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Now, he's not talking about the tithe here. He's talking about just giving above the tithe. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a little had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little Those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Now, I've been young, and now I'm old. And I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging for bread. I believe that with all my heart. (laughs) We taught our daughter, we're gonna give freely. As we receive, we give. We open our house. Our house has been open. I told Colleen we just moved into a new house. I said, this is the first time in the last probably 15 or 20 years we haven't had somebody else living in our house. We're just the two of us. What are we, we're looking at each other. We're just looking at each other. <laughs> just me and you, babe. We don't have anybody living in our house. Now, it probably won't go very long before somebody else is living in there. But we've had, we've had, half our staff has lived in our house. Different people live in our house. Why? Because the Bible says that when you're a leader, you keep open house. Open house. Why? You got a big house? You need to open it up. Amen. Keep your heart open. The more you give, the more you sow, the more you help, the more it just comes back to you, comes back to you, comes back to you, until you literally can't give out all the stuff that God keeps giving you. How many of you, at the end of the year, you give away your clothes, you give them back, you, you go through your closet, unless you're a hoarder, you go through your closet and you, and you get, take it to goodwill. And I'm like, I can't. I can't even fit all these clothes I'm giving to Goodwill this past year. Where did these, they, it's like they had babies, they multiplied. <laughs> and I don't remember buying all these things. And then the Lord said, no, you didn't buy a lot of these, a lot of these things you just got, people gave them to you. And you don't like them anymore, so you're giving them away. How many of you understand that when you serve God, you cannot outgive God? You cannot outgive God. And then finally, and I'll wrap it up with this. <clears throat> Families that, that have a vision, that live purpose-driven lives, they live a life that requires faith. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is, that he is what? That he's God. That he's God. You're not. He's God. And he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Lord said to us years ago, that the life that I've created every person to live is a life of faith, not a life of assurance, a life of faith where you have to trust me. Now, we have just gone through a COVID season. We're still going through it. By the way, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be allowed because I want to say hello to you guys after service. Feel free to come up to me. Feel free. I have my vaccine. I'm double vaccined. All right. <laughs> He's, well, the vaccine doesn't protect it. I know. I got COVID just a month ago. I got COVID after I got a vaccine. But I'm thanking God I got the vaccine because I got over COVID in three days. But, 
And I'm not dogging you if you haven't got the vaccine. You can still come to the church. We're not gonna shut you down. We're not like the government. You can't come in here if you're not vaccinated. But that's on you if you get sick. That's your issue. That's not mine. Amen. But I am double vaccine. I got the double vaccine. I got the Delta antibodies. Man, I, there is no way you can put the, put the COVID on me anymore. In all honesty, though, since this thing started, in all honesty, immediately I confronted this concept of fear, of fear. And I started, I said, COVID didn't, didn't change people, it revealed people. It revealed what was already inside. Some people live by fear. Their whole life is afraid of the future, afraid of making the wrong decision, afraid of getting COVID, afraid of taking a chance or a risk or whatever. And can I just tell you something? You're never gonna please God when you constantly live in fear. No. And here's how we couch fear. Well, I'm just being careful. I'm just being cautious. A lot of that cautiousness and care, and I'm just being careful, is fear. It's fear. And here's what I'm saying. When God speaks to you about your family, sometimes he's going to call you as a family to do stuff that requires faith. And you're gonna be, wait a minute, this might put my family in jeopardy. This might put my finances in jeopardy. This might put my, my life in jeopardy. Can I just tell you something? There is nowhere in the Bible where God says, keep yourself safe, protect yourself, make sure you don't do anything wrong, make sure you don't step out. He says, the life of God is the life of risk and faith and stepping out and trusting God. When he speaks to you, you obey him. Amen. You obey him. And I'll take this back and then I'll wrap it up. Many years ago, before we ever started Victory, God spoke to me. And I was, we were youth pastors. He spoke to me and he says, I want you to come and plant a church in Atlanta, Georgia. I want you to come, go to Atlanta, Georgia and plant a church. At that time, <clears throat> I was 29 years old. And I, I just, we had just had Lauren. She was a brand new baby, which meant my wife was coming home from work and now we were gonna have to figure out how we're gonna manage on a very low income. I'm a youth pastor, not making very much money. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, I want you to plant a church in Atlanta, but before you plant a church, you've got to go to Bible school for two years and get really founded in the word before you start this church out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I said, Lord, how are we going to do that? School starts in about a month. I got to sell a house. I got to move an entire family with a brand new baby to a whole new city where I've gotta find a job that I can start work at one o'clock in the afternoon because I gotta to go to school in the morning and somehow support my family. How am I gonna do that? And, and I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm just being honest with you, most people would not take that on. Most people would just say, I, I can't do that, that's too much. We, we, I sat down with my wife, I said, this is gonna require faith. I need you to be with me. I said, we're putting our whole family in jeopardy to do this. But I said, I believe this is God speaking to us to do this. So I remember we're riding out to Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm driving one of these gigantic U-Haul trucks, 26-foot truck, pulling a car behind that I had no business pulling because when we got there, it broke down. But I pulled it anyway. I pulled it behind. <laughs> My wife's following me in, in, in a car that, another car that we had. She's following me. And we're driving through Nashville, Tennessee, and this incredible storm comes over the city. What is it about Nashville? They keep getting these tornadoes and storms. I don't know what it is. And I'm driving through. It's tra prime traffic, five o'clock in the afternoon. Cars everywhere. I've got this thing that's longer than a tractor trailer. I've never driven a 
this thing before. For some reason, I had Lauren in the front seat of the cab with no air conditioning, so we had to have the windows down. She's sitting in the little car seat. Back then, back then, you didn't put your kids in the back seat. You put them in the front seat facing forward. No bicycle helmets. No, I mean, just hope you make it. If we crash, we're both gone. There goes the baby. <laughs> That's just how it was. And so we're riding along, and this storm's coming, and I can't reach over and roll the wind up because it, I'm in traffic. Lightning, storms, wind, traffic, and I'm trying to roll. I can't get the window, and the rain is just pouring in the cab, and it's pouring on my little baby, brand new baby. She's two months old, just pouring in on her, crashing lightning, thunder, and I'm thinking, this has got to be freaking her out, and she's over there going, ha, 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 laughing. I'm like, what is this? We finally get through it. We finally get through it. We're back on the road now. It's not raining anymore. And, and the Lord said, I want you to learn from your little daughter. You see how she was in the middle of that storm? He said, listen, listen. She's not thinking about getting a job in Tulsa, supporting her family. She's not thinking about how she's gonna make it to Bible school, how she's gonna buy all the things you need to buy for that. How, she, how are you gonna start a church? She's not thinking about all worried, worried, worried about life. Why? Because she's innocent. She hasn't developed the sin nature yet of fear and anxiety and worry. That's how I created you to be. You're a new creation. That's how I created you to be. The last thing that your little daughter needs from you is to live by fear. She needs to see you model faith. She needs to see your mom model faith. She needs to see the family model faith so that when she gets older, she can also be a person of faith where she's not spending her whole life worried about her kids, worried about the future, worried about paying bills. But she's spending her life just trusting God, believing God by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For God, I believe that you are God and that you are a rewarder of those who diligently seek you, put you first. I'm just telling you, I'm an example of what it can be when you walk by faith and not by sight. I was sitting down the other day with some people at dinner and they said, tell me, where did, did you inherit your church? I said, no, we started the church. You started the church. How did you start? With six people in a daycare center, six people. And after a few weeks, you had two people. <laughs> How do you get a church like this? By faith. Amen. How do you get a church like this? By faith. How do you have a, how do you have a godly marriage? By faith. You stay married because you believe God's word is true. No matter how difficult it is, you stay married. I'm gonna stay married to this person. And so if we're gonna stay married, we might as well make it more pleasant. <laughs> if we're locked together for life, let's just have a good journey together. Let's quit arguing and fighting for the rest of our life. <laughs> Amen. And I'm telling you this, that when you model this faith walk, 
Your children will grow up, your spouse will grow up admiring you, looking up to you, wanting to be like you, wanting to do the same kind of things, and this is how you become fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. No longer being subdued by your sin nature, now you are subduing the earth. God called you have a family that has dominion, that has dominion over the things of this earth. And in order for you to walk in dominion, you have to walk by faith. Now, let me tell you what your first step of faith is, and this is what we'll wrap it up with. Your first step is saying, I need Jesus to control my life. I need Jesus to be in charge of my life. I cannot do this without God. So I want you to take a moment. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want you to think about your position with Jesus. Are you fully surrendered to Jesus? I'm not talking about you go to church. I'm not talking about you say some prayers here and there. I'm not talking about you're a good person, a nice person. I'm talking about have you surrendered yourself? And I'm talking to all of you, including those of you that are watching online, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything flows from the Lordship of Jesus Christ. A healthy marriage, healthy kids, healthy family, Everything, purpose, vision, all starts with saying, Jesus, take over my life. I can't do this without you. And might I suggest that if life is messed up in your life right now, if you're having some real trouble in your life right now, some challenges in your life, might I suggest that it has something to do with your submission to Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, all of you watching us online, if you recognize, man, I, I need to get my life back in line with God. I need to get my family back in line with God. I need to get my future back in line. The first step of faith is humbling yourself, admitting I need a savior for, to save me from my sins. I need forgiveness from my past. I need a new future. I need to be born again. If that's you, all I want you to do is just acknowledge to the Lord by lifting your hand right where you're sitting. Just lift it up high all across this building. Lots of hands, lift it up high. Those of you that are watching us online, just lift your hand up high right where you're sitting or standing. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And this prayer is the most important prayer you will ever pray in your life. It's the prayer of salvation. It's the prayer of dedication. It's the demarcation of your life where you're saying, today I'm gonna leave my old man behind and I'm gonna start a new life with Christ. Let's pray this together. Believers, pray with me. Let's say it. Jesus, right now, I repent of my sins. I ask you to forgive me and cleanse me from everything in my sin nature that has controlled me in my past. Today, I put my life on your altar. I died in my past. And I embrace what you did for me, Jesus, on the cross. You died for my sins. You rose from the dead. And now I ask you, Jesus Christ, to come into my heart and transform me into a new person. From this day forward, I surrender to you in Jesus' name. Now let's lift our hands right now. Let's lift them up all across this building, all across the internet. We lift our hands to you, surrender to you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come down now 
Begin to seal in us this relationship with Christ right now from this point on. Begin to deliver us from any demonic strongholds that have bound us in the past, any sin nature that has controlled us in the past. Begin to break that off of us today, right now, in Jesus' name. And as we go forward, I pray for healing and health and wholeness in our own personal lives and in our families, God. That from this day forward, we're going to have a purpose-driven family in Jesus' name. And everybody that agrees with that prayer says amen and amen. Come on, let's give him all the praise.